0: With us in person and those who are watching online, good morning to you all. What a joy and privilege it is that we get to gather and to sing and to pray and to take communion, to hear the Word, to be with each other. Uh, There are a bazillion things you could be doing this morning, but nothing that would have as much of an eternal weight and joy and hope as it is that what we get to do here together. And I hope that the truth of the gospel is what fuels your heart as you gather for worship. And I hope it's the truth of the gospel that fuels our heart for community together. Uh, tonight we have the opportunity to gather here in this room uh, for a church-wide prayer night. Uh, we, it's been a while since we've last done one of these, and so it's a sweet time that is scripture-guided, and you're in smaller groups throughout the room, and you spend time praying for things that we have set out for us tonight to pray for. And so I encourage you to be here at 5 p.m. We'll go to 6, 6.30 thereabouts with just some hanging out and encouragement for one another. But we're going to pray, and so I hope to see you this evening. Next, week, next weekend is a full weekend for our church family, weather permitting. On Saturday, we have a fall cleanup here from 8 to noon. If you can commit those four hours, awesome. If you commit any of the hours or any of the time there, we would certainly take it. It would be wonderful to have some help uh, to do some cleanup around the property as the fall is settling in into New England. And then on Sunday, the 14th, we have a Global Outreach Focus. There's two aspects to that. First is, if you were filling an Operation Christmas Child box, you want to bring that in next week, that would be great and helpful. If you wanted to give online, you can still do that through our website. Just check the Operation Christmas Child Fund when you do the giving. And then also, uh, on next Sunday, uh, we'll have our one of our Global Outreach Partners, Dave Parsons of Unto, a humanitarian relief aid ministry of Crew Ministries. Um, He will be here, he'll preach, and then afterwards there'll be a luncheon um, in here. And so be sure to let us know you attend to that lunch and and enjoy that time together as we hear from Dave uh, next week. So that's all that's going on. Hopefully that will be encouraging for you and also opportunities to pray, to serve, and to be encouraged in what God is doing throughout the world. All right, if you have your Bible, we're going to return to Revelation chapter 2. In your Bible, um, we're going to start with verse 9, and, or excuse me, verse 8, and read through 11. And just a few verses to the church in Smyrna. This is the letter, one of the seven letters from King Jesus to be delivered to these seven churches in Asia Minor, which is roughly modern-day Turkey. And this letter is to be given to this church in a... Tough situation, and we're going to find out some more about that as we read through it. Starting at verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear, what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is useful for our lives, that it reveals to us your character and worth and shows us your ways and your works. And I pray that our hearts would be greatly encouraged as we consider it today. So be with the preaching, the hearing, the receiving, the believing of this, your word, to your glory and to our good, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. The Bible doesn't give us a fight-or-flight directive for when the cultural winds change all around us. No fight, no flight. doesn't lay that out for us. It's not the game plan. Instead, the Bible gives us a do not fear, be faithful. Do not fear, be faithful. Call to action and does so by helping us see life, and the world around us through the lens of who God is and what God has accomplished for us in Christ and why that matters and how we live right now. No letter in the seven letters in Revelation 2-3 through captures this like the letter to Smyrna. One of two letters that doesn't have that, but this I have against you. Corrective. The, The letter to Smyrna is incredibly relevant and helpful for us today. Now, if you recall from last week, I tried to give us a a simple way to know how these letters unfold. There are three basic elements to a basic pattern. There's an analysis, there's an exhortation, and there's a promise. And when we come to Smyrna, the analysis is, there's a difficult cultural context filled with very specific kinds of opposition. That's the analysis of what this church is facing. And the exhortation is, do not fear, be faithful. And the promise is that King Jesus will give you the crown of life. It's encouraging for us because we can go about living for the king even in a world that rejects him. We can live for the king in a hard world where evil is real. And the letter to Smyrna gives us some guidance and some encouragement and courage to do that. To live for the king in a hard world where evil is real. And there are three ways that we're going to tackle that as we consider this letter to Smyrna. First, to live for the king in a hard world, we need to live with a cultural awareness. We need to live with a cultural awareness. We need to understand the context in which we live. It has an impact on the ways in which we live out our faith and following the king. It has an impact on those dynamics. So let's be aware of what we live in. Secondly, living for the King in a hard world where evil is real, we need to live with a committed faithfulness. We need to live with a committed faithfulness that we we can't go into this not seeing and believing and trusting that God is really in control and Jesus wins. We need to recognize that life is hard and evil is real, but our committed faithfulness is because God is in control and Jesus wins. And then... Thirdly, to live for the king in a hard world where evil is real, we need to live with a conquering hope. A conquering hope. So let's walk through that together and hopefully be encouraged. First, live with a cultural awareness. There are challenges that come with our cultural contexts. Challenges to living for the king. There, <clears throat> Excuse me. There's the obstacle of a man-centered culture, and there is the intensity of our spiritual opposition. Both of those realities are at play no matter what age and stage of history we are in. And so as we go about understanding the encouragement that King Jesus is giving to the church of Smyrna and to us also, we need to be aware of our culture. And the first aspect is the obstacle of man-centered culture. Let's take a second to just factor in Smyrna, if you will. Now, I joked the other night, I was, all week long, I, I, keep, I kept thinking Smirnoff, And that's not what's said there. And I'm going to say it, so I'm, I'm trying to not, I'm saying it now so I don't say it later. And then you're all like, did he just say Smirnoff? So, So this is my way of like diffusing it. There, got it out of the way because I know I would have said it and you all would have been like, what kind of week did he have? Um, smyrna smyrna had to it overwhelming amounts of affluence and godlessness the cultural context for this church was in one of affluence and godlessness it went by the moniker as the first city of asia in both its size and scope, and it rivaled Ephesus. Ephesus was also a very, very important city, and they were sort of rivals of who was best, who had most, who had better, those sorts of things. It was built on the side of a mountainous slope that went down into the sea, it was glorious. It was a retirement place for those who were famous and, and wealthy and rich in Rome. And, and, and Smyrna was one of those places that was beautiful, its location and the architecture resembled that of a crown. So as you looked at the side of this mountainous slope that goes into this picture SC, it was like you were seeing a crown. And that will come in later here in a moment. Smyrna was also very loyal to Rome, very incredibly loyal loyal. In fact, the faithfulness and the loyalty of Smyrna to Rome sort of became a proverbial adage, like that was how they were known, and that was like their brag that we are faithful to Rome. Smyrna, it was their bumper sticker, their billboard that they would have as you would go into their community. Its cultural values were centered on Roman culture, which meant it was very invested in all levels of the worship of the emperor. and the Roman world in this day, they allowed all these places that they conquered to keep their gods, provided that they worship the emperor as a god, as a god in the flesh, in fact. And Smyrna took heart to that, dove all in on that, and also gained a lot of positive relationships with Rome, as all their generals and their their senators would retire off to Smyrna. So they they certainly played the part to, to gain such great standing with Rome, but one of those things is worship the emperor equals the good life. And Smyrna was known as being very aggressive at guarding that. Anything that detracted from the value of worshiping the emperor Embracing Roman culture was fiercely and swiftly opposed and disposed. Enter Christianity. Christianity is inherently opposed, or at least in opposition, to any system of man that places man over God. doesn't matter what kind. Christianity is a God-centered religion and faith. And anything created by man is going to be inherently man-centered. So Christianity already set in opposition to the cultural values of Smyrna. Smyrna's loyalty to this Roman life and its affluence made it incredibly difficult to follow Christ there, though not impossible. Not impossible. Difficult? Yes. Impossible? No. Again, look at verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. They were experiencing great difficulties, so much so that that brought about financial ruin. That's a literal poverty, not just the spiritual poverty. A literal poverty that would hit these people. If they came to know Christ and embraced the life of following Christ, if they were Christians and baptized and in the church, they most likely experienced financial ruin in Smyrna. Costly. But they are rich, Christ says. Difficult, but not impossible. That's an obstacle of a man-centered culture. That was what they lived in and faced day in and day out. That was the life that they were living. And so when we think about that, we too also face certain obstacles in our lives and the place that we live. I'm I'm a new person to New England, I lived here for just over two years, and, and we're still coming to grips with understanding the cultural values in New England. And as we were getting ready to come here, we, do, we dove into better understanding what it's like to live in New England, the ebbs and flows and the the maple barns and the whatnots, you know, all of those kinds of things, trying to understand the life of, of what it means to be in New England. And... and in New England is what they say it is. It's a post-Christian context. A post-Christian context. What do we mean by the words post-Christian context? That means that the overriding or the main value system in a, a culture or society is no longer shaped or informed by values that would be informed through the Christian faith. That, so those values of the Christian faith, the way that we look at life and the way that we live it out, the values that we have that inform the way that we go about our lives aren't the main values of a culture. Something else is more priority. A post-Christian context is a significant that carries with it a significant evidence of a lack of Christian identity, belief, and practice where the Christian value is no longer part of the cultural values and norms of a community. There's a researcher, um, Barna Group, and they recently did a research of the United States and laid out the top ten post-Christian contexts in the United States. And if you look up there, you see that overwhelming amount of those locations, those city groups, are found in New England. Seven of the top ten Or New England. Because, I don't know, do we count New York as New England? New York, nah, whatever. We'll just, we're not going to count New York, right? Nashua falls into number five. The Boston to Manchester Corridor. Number five in the nation. Number five in the most post-Christian context in the nation. That's our... That's what we are to be aware of. We don't live in a place that values the things that we value. In fact, values things that make it difficult to follow Christ. In this part here uh, uh, of the world or of our country, and really our country as a whole, it's just going to take its time as it ebbs through. It's not emperor worship like Smyrna was facing, but it is self- worship. The uh, idealized, secular self is at the center. Self has now become the new emperor. Self defines the terms of identity, meaning, and purpose, and anything that detracts from self is to be fiercely and swiftly opposed and disposed. And just as Christianity is inherently in opposition to any system or culture that catapults man over God, so it is inherently in opposition that catapults self over God. A post Christian context holds up, idolizes, and secularizes self. So New England's loyalty to self makes it incredibly difficult to follow Christ here, but not. Impossible. Not impossible. We need to be aware of these cultural realities. That the very culture we live in has rhythms and currents that run counter to the faith. And as those rhythms and currents get louder and stronger, the harder it will be for us to follow Christ. And so we must together be greatly encouraged by what we find here in Revelation, by what we find here in the letter to Smyrna. Now, there's another variable to our awareness of the context in which we live that we need to have hold on tightly, and that is not only the obstacle of uh, our cultural context, but we also need to realize the intensity of spiritual opposition, the things that we cannot see. We need to be aware of the opposition of an evil reality. Life is hard. It's hard in New England for different reasons than Smyrna or Ephesus or wherever else that we might go in Revelation. But it's hard nonetheless. But also within that, evil is indeed real. So in Smyrna, there was a a religious group that embraced fully Smyrna's values while positioning themselves to be Jews even though they were not. And in that sort of embracing Smyrna's values, they sought to bury and crush the Christian group by turning them over to Smyrna and say, hey, these all, they're, they're, they're not living as we're living. We, we've embraced Smyrna, but they're not. Crush them. They slandered them to the dominant cultural value in Smyrna. Look at verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. There is an evil reality. There is an intensity of spiritual opposition that is operating behind the humanly and earthly opposition we experience as followers of Christ. We cannot see it, but we can feel it. This is not to make everything a boogeyman, so we should you know, have caution with that, but it is to not ignore it as if it is not at work. There is evil opposition, evil spiritual opposition. And the church will experience all sorts of seasons living in this world, some good, some hard, and some especially challenging. But behind this mistreatment that the church in Smyrna was re- experiencing is the reality of spiritual off- opposition. Life is hard. Evil is real. Verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. We'll come back to some of that verse. But just note, the devil is about to throw you into prison. Behind the, the mistreatment that the church receives here and throughout the world is evil spiritual opposition to God and His ways. Later in Revelation, we're going to get into the the vivid and nitty-gritty of that. And and we're going to find Satan, who attempted to crush Jesus and failed, is going to turn his attention to crush the church. And so we need to be aware of that. So when I read the New Testament and I see this played out, I don't see a call to arms against the culture. I don't find that anywhere in the New Testament. Make war against the culture. I see lots of instruction and care on how to live on the margins faithfully and purposefully with gospel aims and gospel hopes. I see the call to make much of Jesus even in the face of such opposition and obstacles. That we are to be hope-filled people, even while feeling the weight of obstacles and oppositions around us. I Also, when I read the New Testament, I see the reality of spiritual opposition. And that reality is met with the call to prayerful dependence and gospel courage. To keep holding on and making much of the king. So, friends, are we aware of our culture? We are aware at times, and we want to fight. Other times, we want to flee. But that's not our instruction here. That's not what Smyrna was called to do, nor us. Do not fear. Be faithful. That leads us to the second aspect of living for the king in a hard world where evil is real. And that is, not only are we to be aware of our cultural context, but we need to be committed in our faithfulness to following the king. And, and we do that by keeping a Christ-centered perspective on life. We are able to go about being committed and have committed faithfulness, live with committed faithfulness, when we are keeping a Christ-centered perspective on life. Again, the call, do not fear suffering, be faithful unto death. That's what bookends verse 10. It starts off, by saying, do not fear what you are about to suffer. And it ends with, be faithful unto death. That's our call, to live with this committed faithfulness. And, and we do so knowing that we are to look at life and the world around us and the, the end of our lives all through the lens of what we are and have in Christ. And when we do that, we find that suffering is a short-term reality. No matter the level and the intensity of that suffering, though some of it can be overwhelming, it is when we look at life and the world and eternity excuse me through the lens of Christ, we find that suffering is a short-term reality. Now let's come back to that verse in uh, verse 10. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. And you're thinking, "Well, that's incredibly specific, John. Ten days? Well, again, we have to keep in mind something we covered early on in our series that Revelation is going to carry with it some very highly symbolic things to it. And so the ten days in light of the scope of eternity is a symbolic reference to the short-term reality of suffering compared to eternity. The short-term reality. That doesn't take away the challenge of it, but in the midst of the intensity of suffering, we labor together to keep a Christ-centered perspective, because suffering will come. Now, I've started this off by saying our call from the New Testament isn't necessarily to fight or flight, It's not to fight our flight when it comes to the cultural changes around us. And I, and I think about that with respect to suffering. Suffering for being a jerk is suffering for being a jerk, not because you're following Christ. For the last 10 years, the witness of Christians in the Western culture would be characterized more like a jerk than it would be for those who would be faithfully and hopefully holding up and holding out Christ and Him crucified. So, to me, the point of application is don't be jerks. If we suffer because we're jerks, then our suffering won't really matter or count. If we're suffering because we hold tightly to Christ, want to live for his glory want to help others come to know him if we suffer because of those things please know that as we do that that suffering will be short term in the grand scheme of things that in the light of glory the suffering will be nothing nothing be faithful it says even unto death do not fear suffering. Be faithful even unto death. So let's remember our interpretive key. I think I have a slide for that. Life is hard. Evil is real. God is in control. Jesus wins. So hold on. Hold on. Hold on and don't be a jerk about it. Hold on and be hopeful about it. Hold on. Holding on to what we believe, holding on to who we worship, holding on to how we live, holding on to what we make much of, holding on to all that God has done for us and is for us in Christ, holding on because he is holding on to us and he is saying to us, this thing that you are suffering is nothing compared to the glory we will have and share in victory. Hold on. Hold on. Have a Christ-centered perspective on life. Yes, be culturally aware. Yes, let's live a committed faithfulness. We do so by holding on. Now, I don't know why there are varying degrees and experiences of suffering this side of glory. I have no answer to that. I just know That suffering, to whatever degree, is going to mark this reality, but doesn't determine how we live, nor defines our future. Suffering is real. Some of that suffering is hard. Some of it is unrelenting. I don't know why. I know that life is hard, evil is real, but God is in control and Jesus wins. So let's hold on. And let's hold on with a conquering hope. That leads us to our last point. Live with a conquering hope. We are to be people looking to a crowning future. A crowning future. Those who follow the king receive a crown of eternal life. Again, remember, Smyrna resembled a crown and bragged about being faithful to Rome and to the emperor. And Smyrna wanted to crush anything that detracted from their way of life. So King Jesus, in his dictation to this letter to go to this church in Smyrna has an incredible play on the cultural context and says that he, the king over everything, will crown these Christians who were crushed by Smyrna with the crown of life, a crown that will never fade, a crown that has eternity in mind, that he will give that to them because they were faithful until the end. So really, it's like Smyrna versus Christians. Whose king wins? The emperor or Jesus? And Jesus is saying at the end, I'm going to give you the crown of life. Hold on. Hold on. We have a crowning future, folks. You may be ridiculed, mocked. You may be dismissed, dejected. You may be crushed emotionally or relationally because people in your family or in your workplaces or in your neighborhoods or in your towns think you're stupid and foolish for being religious. That may be marked the rest of your life. And if you're under my age, which is, yeah, if you're under my age, That's probably going to be your reality in some measure, more so than mine and those who are older than me. Probably going to be your reality. And I want to say to you, especially those who are under my age, King Jesus is greater. He is worth it. He has grace for you. He will not let you go. He won't. The world around you will change rapidly. And that rapid change may make it harder for you to follow Jesus. Harder for you to identify as a Christian. Harder for you to be at the church. I want to say to you, don't lose sight of who your king is and what he is for you and what he has for you. He has for you a crown that says, eternity with me and victory. I love 1 Corinthians 4. Apostle Paul gets at this in very vivid and helpful ways. He says, for this light, momentary affliction, Paul experienced some serious trauma in his life. Like, if you were to meet the Apostle Paul today, you would encourage him to get a counselor, right? The amount of trauma he experienced. Let me say that again. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Imagine with me right now a scale. You know the scales that have two little plates that are hanging from the side. And on one scale, you put all of the things of difficulties and obstacles and opposition that you've experienced in this life. And let's even like project all the ones that you will experience later in life. And you scoop them all up and you like dump truck them back onto that scale and you dump them all on there, all of it, all the opposition, all the ridicule, all the hardship, all the suffering. And you just bury that plate underneath all those things that you experience in this life. And then you come over to the other plate and you set on it the eternal weight of glory with King Jesus. And it catapults into the abyss of nothingness all. Every drop, every crumb, every ounce of every amount of suffering you could ever experience. It's so heavy that it just catapults it into the abyss. Gone. What you have in Christ far outweighs anything you will ever experience in this life. And when we gather as the church, we have the wonderful opportunity to rehearse that truth together. Even in our cultural awareness, we realize that we are foreigners in a foreign land living in the margins. So let's do so with great courage, with great joy, with great hope. Let's do so with great purpose because we have a king and he wins. King Jesus has gone ahead of us Experiencing the worst, conquering all, giving us everything, and gloriously gracious to keep us to the very end. So hold on. Some of us in here this morning are weary, worn, and weak. Feeling overwhelmed with a changing world. Feeling uncertain of what it will mean for us and for our younger folk. So let us take seriously the call to be aware of these challenges, but to do so by looking at them through the lens of Christ with our future hope, feeling present-day faithfulness. Do not fear. Be faithful. Jesus wins. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would indeed help us see that, and you would bless our hearts with the truth of that, for some of us, we face some very overwhelming circumstances and challenges to our faith. And God, I pray that you would give us great courage to live for you and your glory. To live for your glory in a, in a place that is, says those values aren't important to us anymore. Now that map hits my heart. To See all those dots all pressed in, all around where we live. Oh God, would you do a work in and through us? We live in New England and and, and as we live out our faith here together, God, would you do a work through Trinity that in this Nashua region that we could be a beacon, a place where the weary and the worn, the lost and the broken, the hurting and the confused, those that are angry at you, those that hate you and reject you, might actually come to know you and your grace and your mercy and your love. God, may we not be afraid of this cultural context and the spiritual opposition that comes with it, but may we with great courage and great hope and great purpose and great joy live our lives faithful to you, holding up and holding out you. So that people can come to know you, and that our hearts would be refreshed, renewed to live for you upstream against the current, the world around us. God, you're the king, king over it all. Help us see that, believe that, trust that, and live for that. We ask in Christ's name, amen.